Thank you for listening and welcome to the Life Radio Show, a proud member of the SJ Network. I'm your host, Don Smith. On this episode, actor, comedian, rapper, and paranormal investigator Jean-Pierre Gignoli Skypes in to talk about a little bit of everything. If you enjoy the show, like and follow The Life 1069 on Facebook and Don Smith Comedy on Twitter, or tune in live on Tuesdays when we're back from COVID-19 lockdown from 7 to 9 p.m. on WWSU 106.9 FM, or you can stream the show live at WWSU1069.org. Overwhelms me. A brutal presence. Okay, hey, welcome to the Life Radio Show. I'm your host, Don Smith. Uh, we're still still on lockdown. They're getting ready to release us in Ohio so we can go out and start the uh, second wave of coronavirus when everybody goes out licking windows again. Because that's kind of what we do. <laughs> it's kind of what we. It's, it's a pastime in the Midwest, I think. Uh, it's been it's been an odd week. I've been I've been fighting with a headache all week. It just it has not stopped, and I'm going to blame it on on the Ohio weather because it's been nothing but rain and overcast and just freaking ugly for the past week. And I think that's continuing on. It's going to ruin my camping trip this weekend for Memorial Day weekend. So so that's good news. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, my guest is on Skype already, uh, Mr. Jean-Pierre Gignoli. Gignoli, sorry, I screwed it up anyway. Just... <laughs> right, right. Still better than most people. <laughs> Gignoli. Got it, it's perfect. Okay, that... <laughs> well, I, I appreciate you Skyping in to talk to us. Uh, I've been looking over your website and everything and looking over some of the stuff you're into, and one of the things that jumps out at me, of course, is ghost hunting. <laughs> definitely so i don't have a lot of ghost hunters on the show but every now and then i've had a few <laughs> oh, nice how, how did that start how did you get involved in ghost hunting yeah um so uh it started when i was very young i had an experience when i was about two years old i stayed at my grandmother's house which was a common occurrence so there was nothing really strange about that but um this one particular uh time i stayed over there on the weekend uh i was woken up in the wee morning hours by uh my grandfather's spirit he passed away when i was three months old and uh yeah he was sitting in front of my bed trying to talk to me i couldn't understand him and obviously i was a young child i freaked out i started crying uh but i was also curious because when he left the room and went into the like dining room area um he disappeared through the dining room wall and i saw that happen and i was freaking out ran to my grandmother's room told her what had happened, and she said, oh, you know, you can stay with me, don't worry, it's just your imagination, it was a bad dream, you know, and they kind of downplayed it, my mom did too, uh, and I actually just experienced a lot of stuff after that point, and uh, I think it was about maybe like eight years later when my uh, parents finally sat me down and said, hey, we didn't want to scare you because you were very little, but we've all experienced this kind of stuff. My grandmother came from Italy and said she experienced it there, my mom's mom experienced it here in the United States. And uh, I was like, okay, so I'm not alone. I'm not crazy. Like other people see this stuff too. Um, and that, that's really when my curiosity sparked the most because, you know, I, I hear people that have experienced the paranormal and that have not. So my biggest quest is to find the answer, you know, why do certain people uh, experience the paranormal and others don't? So uh, I don't know if I've, I've come up with theories of why that is. Uh, yeah, after studying it for 20 plus years. 
but I don't think I have a concrete answer yet. You know, we don't have the enough evidence to have a, that concrete, uh, solid uh, facts laid out. But uh, that that sparked my interest. I started reading books. Uh, there wasn't many TV shows uh, at that time, uh, at least any that like they are today. So, uh, you know, a lot of it was reading and researching and studying and finding people who did it and learning from them. And uh, in high school, I met my best friend and he was into the paranormal. So we kind of started building a foundation for our nonprofit, which we have now called the Southern California Paranormal Detectives. And we really, 2000 is when we really started, you know, that professionally helping people and going out, buying equipment. And we were mentored by a few people in the field who were well known and they helped us out. We were going to college, um, you know, just learn more about it. So. Yeah, now we're doing it big. I actually earned my PhD in parapsychology. Um, wow, I lectured wow. at Chapman University for about five or six years in the sociology department uh, on the paranormal. Um, I was on the premiere episode of the reboot of Haunted History on the Manson murders and was interviewed and investigated Spawn Ranch where Charles Manson stayed for a while. So, uh, yeah, I've done, done quite a bit. I've consulted for a few TV shows as well. So, yeah, yeah that's... Of... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, that's, that's kind of where it started and what it built up to, so. Yeah, so that's, that's pretty much a lifelong thing. That's that's interesting. And it's it's interesting that part of it has to do with you trying to to develop theories of why some people experience it, some people don't, because I never have, and I've always been curious about it. Uh-huh. As uh, my my wife, when, when she lived here, <laughs> when she lived in my house, uh, she told me a couple times about some things, some, some uh, the tall, uh, skinny guy that she ran into in the hallway in our house. And well, the house I live in, my grandfather, who was six foot four, I believe, and a very slender gentleman, he he passed away in the house. So she's seen my grandfather in my house, and I have not. Wow. Uh, I, <laughs> but I've I've been a lot of places uh, filming that I've really wanted to see something i've i've my whole life i've never actually seen anything that i could say is any kind of paranormal anything but i've taken chances to try to get out there i did some filming uh for a movie called six feet below hell it was in post town elementary over in uh, germantown ohio which uh that's it's supposedly a very very active uh place for paranormal activities. I, I saw nothing. I mean, it was a very creepy place, but I didn't actually see anything. Yeah. So. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, I know. Um, it's, it's strange how, how it works out. My co-founder, um, I think we were doing it for four years. Like, I mean, and vigorously doing it, you know what I mean? Investigating all the time, going to places very frequently. And it, it was about four years in, uh, that he actually experienced something and he always wanted to we went to all the most haunted places we could locally here in, in uh, Southern California and uh, Finally, I think it was on a case at a house He he saw a full-bodied apparition. And I remember him running out of the garage and just saying I finally saw a ghost like it finally <laughs> happened like all these years finally I saw something <laughs> so that was uh, yeah, it's, it's strange how that works and um, I know for me especially studying a lot of psychology and the human mind and how it works um, especially coming uh, and getting through a lot of my own trauma and things about life, we, we can have a lot of tunnel vision as human beings. You know, we're very conditioned and programmed to think about life in certain ways. And religion, education, family, a lot of things control how we view things in life and how expansive, you know, uh, we put our view. 
Um, and I, I noticed that that has a big effect uh, on people experiencing things. So my one of the theories I've come up with with why certain people experience and others don't, I think it really has to do with being open-minded. But a lot of people, I think, misunderstand what open-minded actually means. You know, open mind. A lot of people think having open mouth is an open mind. You know, I'll try any food that you put in front of me. You know, and they think that's open-minded. But being truly open-minded is accepting things that maybe you don't necessarily like or believe, but you're willing to listen to someone express maybe something that's different than your viewpoint or opinion. And that's kind of the starting point of actually having an open mind, because then you open yourself up to things that may be unfamiliar, uncomfortable. Uh, you know, make you uneasy. So when you expand yourself to that, having a lot of experiences, it seems like that opens you up to be uh, experienced more and that kind of more into your your point of view that you have. Yeah. So, sorry, your phone's kind of going in and out there, or the, or the Skype is. Maybe it's the app screwing up. <laughs> okay, it might be. I, I'm walk, I'm talking through my uh, webcam, so I don't know if that has any effect on it. <laughs> Yeah, it was. It was just. I mean, I could. I could hear you. It's just kind of going in and out. But uh, you're an actor as well. What are some of the uh, projects you have going on? Yeah, uh, right now a lot is on the back burner, obviously, because the whole COVID nineteen uh, right. quarantine. Uh, so I have a lot of prospects coming up. Uh, once this is done, I have a few films that I got booked in. Uh, a few indie films. Uh, most recently, I was in Ford versus Ferrari. I was one of the main Ferrari guys in the movie. So that was an incredible experience as an actor. I worked on that movie for two months. I did a big scene with John Bernthal, the actor who played Lee Iacocca in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I worked, like I said, I worked on it for two months. So I did other scenes with Matt Damon and, and Christian Bale. So I was very interactive and featured with, with all of the cast, uh, the main cast in the movie uh, during uh, a scene where Ford goes to Italy to, look, to see the Ferrari factory and potentially purchase Ferrari, which is one of the, the points in the movie. And then the other one was Le Mans in France. Uh, I was uh, the Ferrari pit crew for that one. So we did a lot of the, you know, filling up the Ferraris when they pitted, um, you know, being there when all the stuff was going down. I was one of five actors who actually fluently spoke Italian. So we were made the dub the Ferrari boys by James Mangold and, and the assistant director. So anytime they needed, um, you know, Italian stuff, they always called on us to go out there and, uh, you know, be Italian. <laughs> so that was, that was my biggest one, which was a, a lot of fun to do. And funny enough, I actually wasn't doing acting for about five years. I was focusing more on stand-up comedy and my music. And when I decided to quit my day job, because I just had enough, I was tired, and I wasn't really pursuing my dreams fully like I wanted to. Um, literally the day I decided to quit my job, two days later, I got a call for this casting and it turned into something really big for me. So, uh, it reinvigorated my love of acting. And, uh, because I had such a big, uh, movie on my resume, I started booking a lot more work as well. So yeah, that was a, a quite, quite the leap, leap of faith to quit work. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely, it definitely was something that was big for me. Um, something very deep about. The, the point I'm at in my life right now, if you don't mind me going into it a little bit, um, I actually was uh, severely abused uh, growing up by my family, and that caused a lot of, um, I guess you could say kind of lack of confidence. Like, I didn't pursue a lot of things because of the way my abuser made me feel about my ability to do things. And and you get to a point, no matter what you've been through, that you, you can only take so much, and you get to that breaking point. And thankfully, my breaking point was to expand myself out and do what I loved. And I really always catered most of my life up until two years ago to everybody else except myself. 
So I never pursued it because I had to take care of my wife. I had the, you know, bills to pay. I had things to do. And I finally said, you know what? Who says I can't do it pursuing my dreams? And, you know, I ended up doing it, getting side jobs here and there, getting acting jobs here and there, you know, unemployment if I needed it. So it was just like, uh, go after it and do it. And, you know, it really furthered my career in ways I couldn't have imagined. So it's, it's a great feeling to have taken that leap in life and, you know, just really gone after it. Yeah, that, that that takes a lot of courage to just go all in like that. That definitely is a kudos, man. <laughs> Thank you, yeah. It was, it was a challenge at first, but I've realized that paycheck doesn't bring you happiness. I, I'm, I'm so much happier being the creative that I want to be. You know, I'm working on a full uh, rap album about the paranormal. So I'm rapping about ghosts and UFOs and, and chupacabras and Bigfoots and all kinds of stuff uh, on this album I'm working on. Um, you know, the quarantine has kind of helped me have more time to be creative. So, so I'm definitely excited about uh, the projects I have coming up in the future. Yeah. I, I don't think I've heard a lot of paranormal rap. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think I'm going to find a niche market here. <laughs> <laughs> that'll be, that'll be fun. When the album's out, let me know. I'll, have to, I'll see about playing some on the show. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I will. Yeah. One of the things actually, because I always try to cross um, my different talents and things that I do, um, because the album has to do with paranormal. I would love to, whenever this COVID thing is over, I'm developing an idea of doing it, what I call a ghost tour with my music. And I want to tour like all the haunted theaters and venues and clubs and do like, after I do my show, have like a VIP experience where my fans get to go actually investigate the theater club with me afterwards. So I think that'd be a cool idea. Something to try out. Well, yeah, with music and ghost hunting and acting and, and uh, comedy, you can travel all over the place. Exactly. <laughs> You've got to book comedy gigs in between there, too, that way. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, well, that's another big thing. I met someone uh, through a mutual friend, a big booker and casting director in Florida, actually. So whenever the COVID-19 thing is over, I'm getting flown out to Florida. I'm going to start performing out there if that goes well. Uh, they're planning to put me on tour with them and uh, do some shows uh, all over. So yeah, hopefully I'll be traveling doing that as well. Yeah, nice. How long you how long you been performing stand up? Um, I actually started doing stand up right when I was eighteen, fresh out of high school. Um, funny enough, the community college I chose to go to, I chose specifically because they offered a stand up comedy class. I'd always loved humor growing up. My parents would let me stay up and watch Johnny Carson when I was little and Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live, a lot of the classic, you know, Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, uh, the guys that inspire me, especially in the ghost stuff, because I saw Ghostbusters. And that's my favorite movie of all time. So funny enough, I grew up to be a real Ghostbuster. So one of my childhood dreams <laughs> true. <laughs> there you go. That That's perfect. Not, not a lot of people get to live the dream of being a Ghostbuster. <laughs> yeah, very true. And uh, luckily, I can say uh, I am. So... <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so um, that's kind of where it started. My interest started very young. Uh, when I was very little, I always gravitated towards humor and music. And especially now that I'm older and I've realized the abuse I went through, I really think those were my coping mechanisms for dealing with what I was going through. You know, humor is, it's funny because a lot of humor comes from tragedy. My best material came from some of the worst things that happened to me. So um, yeah, it's funny, like I said, that comedy really does come from tragedy and you turn it into something that makes you smile rather than makes you, you know, feel upset or whatever. Um, so yeah, I used to imitate like Groucho Marx and a lot of the Saturday Night Live characters. I do a lot of impressions and I learned that from watching my favorite comedians on those, you know, sketch and stand up. Uh, and, uh, yeah, by the time I, I got out of high school, cause you know, obviously I was pretty young and it was hard to get into clubs if you're not, you know, old enough to get into the comedy clubs and perform. 
but once I got to college, I was 18. I could get into the clubs. It's like that's one of the first things I wanted to do. So yeah, I just started when I was 18, and I was I was really green back then. Um, I I was very isolated because of my abuse. So like I I don't know if all my material really connected with the audience, but I've always been very comfortable on a stage. And the bookers and the club owners always said like when they found out how old I was, like, wow, you're 18, like. You stand up there like you've been on a stage your whole life. Like you just, you know, you carry yourself a certain way. Like I was 18 and they were offering me, you know, adult drinks and they wouldn't question me because of the way I carried myself. Uh, so it's kind of funny that, you know, my friends would be like, Ripple of Vodka. It's like, same for you. And I was like, oh, sure. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Questioning. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, so I started when I was 18. Um, I, I've been doing it off and on uh, here and there, depending on um, which talent I, I focus on because sometimes different things come up and become more prominent. So, um, you know, if I have time, then I'll focus a lot of time and energy on hitting the clubs and doing my comedy. If I do a lot of acting, sometimes I switch over to that. Sometimes I switch over to music a little more. I mean, they're all always there and I'm always kind of working and writing jokes, but um, it just depends what, what is kind of hitting at the time that I focus on a little more. Right. Yeah. Comedy, a lot of people don't realize most comedians are are de- doing it because we're dealing with something deeper, some kind of tragedy or, or depression or something like that. Everybody yeah, seems okay. to think comedians must be happy. It's like, no, we are some, we are <laughs> typically some miserable people. <laughs> yeah, no, it's very true. Um, the last time I really got into comedy, I, I had taken a break for quite a long time from comedy, actually, just because life got in the way, work got in the way. Um, but work was so just, painful to 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 be at all the time that i just started the comedy started the jokes started coming out of me and so i was like you know what i need to get back into stand-up and i did and all the years that i had been writing jokes like really paid off because my material was so relatable um you know and i was talking about things that i've been through in life but making fun of it and like yeah i started booking like major clubs after like one open mic and i was like okay like yeah i'm, I'm definitely i definitely found my 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 place my my spot my material and uh you know uh, my humor so so it definitely gave me a lot more confidence as a comedian to come back and you know get booked so quickly at major clubs orange county and la and stuff like that so yeah that's yeah. cool that's uh one of the things a lot of times when you're going through the tragedy too as i this past probably year and a half i've had a lot of personal things in my life that have been falling apart and i it, the way it has affected my comedy is just, for some reason, I've had a lot better sets yeah. <laughs> when everything's falling apart. Because I guess when you get up there, when all that's happening, you kind of have nothing to lose and you just have a lot you want to get off your mind. Exactly. Yeah, so it's 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 a weird thing how that, how that works, how it feels like the more pain you're in, the funnier you're going to be. It, it's so true. Yeah, it's, it's strange. I really do view it as a form of therapy. It's it's the way we cope with the tragedies and the things that we go through. And, you know, we flip it and you make it something that not only helps you release that tension you're, and the stuff you're dealing with, but you make other people smile in the process. So to, to be able to create that for somebody else when you're going through something negative mm-hmm. is I think that's pretty incredible, to be honest. Yeah, it, it def- definitely helps deal with those things that and to dis- to disarm it and uh, poke yeah. fun at what's going on you're disarming the problem and kind of it's always a coping mechanism now yeah. as, as far as acting how did you get actual actually started in acting itself did you start in theater or was it straight into film 
Uh, yeah, I actually uh, started in uh, theater uh, in high school. Uh, I, let's see, in junior high is really when le- I'll start with where I started performing and where it led to the acting stuff. So um, in junior high, I was suggested to join choir to have something extracurricular. Um, and I was very introverted and shy at that time. So th- that was difficult for me. But a uh, school counselor said, you know, you should, he should join choir. That way he's doing something, you know, different and whatever. So I joined choir and I was in choir pretty much for six years from junior high to high school. And um, I really enjoyed being on a stage, performing, and being on a stage was just a very comfortable place for me. Uh, it's no wonder why when I did comedy clubs, they said I seemed so comfortable up there and, and mature. Um, and then uh, I joined drama in high school because I really, I love comedy, like I said, and I always imitate. I was writing skits in high school, like Saturday Night Live type skits and things like that. I do a lot of impressions. I incorporated that into my skit writing. And uh, then when I started taking drama, I was able to make those skits come to life in class and I got to act in plays and uh, just, yeah, fell in love with it there. And uh, I didn't do film stuff till I want to say probably college is when I actually started doing film stuff. And I don't know, even though I love the stage and being on the stage and performing, there's also to me something very magical about the filmmaking process. You know, I really love it. I even love editing. You know, I went to school for radio, TV and film. I have my bachelor's in radio, TV and film. Um, I worked at my college radio station. Uh, you know, I I did my college newspaper and online videos for them and stuff like that. Um, and then shot little films and acted in lots of films. And I just love the process. You create this world that when you're making a project, film and TV or whatever it is, you know, it's not necessarily se- sequential all the time. Sometimes you do it out of order. But then when you see the final product, I think it's really amazing that they put something together that may not be almost like puzzle pieces when you're shooting it. But then you put it all together and, and all of a sudden you created this whole world, this whole scene, uh, these whole things that you did. But yeah, I definitely started out on stage and I love the stage. But there's fundamental differences between stage acting and film acting. You know, on stage, you have an audience you have to cater to when you're there. And there's nothing like having a live audience playing with comedy. You know, it's such a right. And you need to really express yourself in larger ways when you're on a stage so people in the audience really... Uh, can observe what you're doing uh, on film you have to be a lot more subtle you have to pull yourself back a lot and just let little nuances kind of be seen by the camera rather than you know you're acting for that camera and that right. camera is a lot more than a, a giant audience does so those are the fundamental differences but i really love all of it just performing for me especially going through the abuse i went through um for some reason performing for me is healing it's like you know whether it's comedy whether it's acting whether it's music um yeah, it's, it's very, it's a peaceful place for me. It's a place I get to, you know, escape into a character. So I'm definitely more of a character actor. When I get a role of a certain specific uh, character type, I, I like to become that character when I'm in that. So. Yeah, yeah de- definitely. The When I switched, because I started out in theater as well, uh, not quite as young. I, I was 25 when I first auditioned for a play in a local theater here, nice. which was a which was a story all by itself. But when I switched over to film a couple years later, uh, I was fortunate that the film director also understood theater. Yes. So, <laughs> so he was patient with trying to get me to tone it down a little bit. Yeah. Cause it, when you switch from stage to film, there's definitely a lot there. There's a big difference in, in your, your actions and your movements and everything just, which is fascinating. But yeah, I, 
the process to put any of those things together, whether it's a, whether it's a joke for a stand-up routine, yeah. whether it's a, a, a set and a, a stage play or a film, is just such an a unique process that brings all that together for a final product. And I think that's that's kind of what kept me interested in so much of this for so long. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on that. It's the same for me. Yeah, um, you know, I definitely described uh, the film and TV process that way. Um, and I think it's particular because, like I said, that doesn't necessarily have to be sequential, um, you know, or go together uh, in, in the timeline it's supposed to. But right. in general, doing it, yeah, all of those is a creative process. And the, the final product is something that's amazing to see at the very end when you put it all together. So and that's, yeah, same across the board for all of uh, all those ventures. Yeah. Well, I think I'm going to take a little break, uh, refill my coffee cup, and uh, if you want to stick around when we come back, we'll talk about some uh, dumb news stories that I found. Sounds good. One of them of particular interest to me that has to do with beards. So, <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm, I haven't read it yet. I just looked at the headline, so I'm looking to see what it actually means. So, All right. We, we will be right back on the Life Radio Show. Don't go anywhere. I love you less because I don't write you so 
house is a f***ing prison on planet bullshit in the galaxy of this sucks camel dicks. All right. Hey, welcome back to the Life Radio Show. I'm your host, Don Smith. I'm on the, I'm on Skype with our guest, Jean-Pierre Gignoli. Did I get it that time? Beautiful. On the awesome. name on the head. Great. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I probably will screw it up at the end of the show. But <laughs> hey, it's fine. I, I'm used to it, so <laughs> I, I got it now. So we're, well, I'm Don Smith. So there's not a lot of ways to mess that one up. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's All ever right. butchered your name, I guess. <laughs> What's that? So nobody's ever butchered your name, I guess. You would be surprised. Writing it down, oh. I get D A W N a lot. It's like really oh. or Dom, D O M. I get that all the time. Ah, like, okay. Uh, I guess. I guess that anybody will manage to screw up any name eventually. Yeah, true. <laughs> All right. Well, we got some important news stories to discuss here, and I'm going to pull the one I was teasing this one a little bit at the beginning. Uh, <laughs> uh, men sporting big, bountiful beards might have a reason to feel more confident, and not just because women might be more sexually attracted to guys that can grow them. Of course. Uh, research shows that flowing facial hair might have evolved to help fight hungry humans better absorb blows to the head. According to a new study published in the journal uh, Integrative or Organismal Biology, uh, the findings are a culmination of several research projects by the same team on human resilience, including experiences, experiments on the ability of the human face to take a punch. And that's... That would be a fun study right there, unless you were the okay. subject, I guess. If, if you were conducting the study, it would be more fun. Well, I, I was going to say, yeah, that would be the fun part. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's a quote from, uh, let's see, the biologist, according to uh, the, uh, we've, we found that fully furred samples were capable of absorbing more energy than plucked and sheared samples. <laughs> <laughs> I think plucked and sheared might be... A possible episode title. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, that. Just so you know, that's how I come up with my episode titles. Is as we're going, just any dumb thing that set that that's sprouted out of our mouths. Eventually, it, it might be subject to becoming the show title. So, so that's yep. our working title so far. Is plucked and sheared. I like it. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, fortunately, no humans were slugged in the name of science. Instead, the team employed an epoxy composite skull covered in several styles of sheepskin, plucked, trimmed, and full-on mutton chops, so to speak. Uh, the, to replicate a punch, uh, they then dropped a weight on the chin and measured the force via load cell. So there you go. That They didn't actually punch people for the study. That's good, because that might be a little... I mean, I guess they'd have to pay more if they were going to just start punching people for science. But, I mean, they could have probably punched the, the fake skulls they had, too, though. Like, that kind of seems like a waste of a good opportunity right there. Yeah, but they're scientists. I don't know. if They might not be all that tough. Somebody might have uh, broken yeah, a hand, but, you know. Yeah, true, true. They'd just rather drop a weight on a... Uh, <laughs> on a sheep wool-scovered skull. Yeah. <laughs> As everybody knows, that's that's how you do it right there. You drop a weight on your sheepskin-covered sc skull. <laughs> yeah, interesting, for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, d I didn't know that's why, you know, I, g I guess the bigger beard you grow, the, the better chance you have at uh, being able to take a punch. All right. Well, that explains it now. When I started dating my wife, I had a huge beard for a role I was playing, so... Uh... 
maybe that's how I got her. <laughs> that could be. That could be. <laughs> An Instagram model says a botched Brazilian butt lift. Also a potential show title. <laughs> uh, left her unable to sit for six months. It was very painful, uh, said Shilpa Sethi, who uh, has led has led with her mammoth backside and sexy photos to land 1.2 million followers on her website. Uh, the 25-year-old New Delhi woman said she spent $10,000 to get the booty-boosting surgery in Miami about five years ago. Uh, this article has pictures, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I've always admired a curvy body, and I was very flat at first, said the influence, influencer, uh, who explained that her enhanced assets are key to her making a living, which includes X-rated website only accessible for a fee. <laughs> Unfortunately, the doctor turned out to be a bum. <laughs> I wonder if you meant to do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, so, yeah, there we go. <laughs> Sometimes you make your butt bigger, you can't sit down for a while. Apparently. And that's uh Yeah, th this is this is one of those that looks a bit ridiculous anyway. There's there's nothing wrong with a full figure, but this is like just yeah, it's <laughs> I can't even look at it anymore. That's that's how bad it is, and I like butts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, it's bad when people go go that extreme. I mean, but it sounds like it only lifted her butt, but lifted her numbers too. So. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess if that's, I guess if your butt's how you pay your bills, the bigger the better. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Things are expensive out there. So. Yeah, especially yeah, especially botched Brazilian butt lift surgery. That's ten thousand dollars. <laughs> well, hopefully all, she got a I, discount or something. <laughs> what's that? Hopefully she got a discount or something. <laughs> I, I would hope. I would hope. It, yeah, I, that's probably why it was botched. She had, <laughs> she yeah. used she used the discount butt doctor. There you go. You never never use the discount butt doctor. No, you always want to go pro. Right. Exactly. You don't want to. You don't want a ten percent off discount when you're yeah. talking about butt surgery. Let's be honest. You just don't want somebody who's going to half ass it. That I mean, really. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> A uh, Pennsylvania man was arrested after he died. Oh, this is weird. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, this, yeah. A Pennsylvania man was arrested after he doused a four-year-old boy with gasoline and threatened to burn a demon out of him, police said. Uh, Josiah James McIntosh, 27, is facing ag aggravated assault and other charges. Uh, the incident happened around 1 p.m. Wednesday at a home in South Borough, uh, just outside of uh, Johnstown. Uh, officers responding to a domestic disturbance arrived at the home and found the child in McIntosh smelling of gasoline and the defendant in possession of a disposable lighter. That's, yeah, that's just weird. Yeah, yeah. In all my years of paranormal investigating, that has never been one of our methods to help people if they're dealing with the paranormal. So. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have to burn this demon out of you, sir. Yeah. <laughs> Seeing as they're not physical, we don't need to get physical with them, so... Right, right. I, I, I've met some people that I've thought that's probably the best way to get the demon out of them, but typically not four-year-olds. That's I definitely not. Yeah, I think that's that's where you you, you draw the line on on exercising chil demons out of children in that way. Definitely. You know, some some of the adults, it's like those aren't demons. You're just you're just an asshole. That's yeah. You, know. <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth. I was gonna say it. <laughs> Oh, here, here's, here's something, uh, I guess, slightly paranormal. 
let's see. A mythical mermaid monster uh, from Japanese folklore has made a resurgence in the country's... I, I hate pulling up some of these stories online because all the ads try to pop up, and as I'm reading it, the words are bouncing all over the damn screen. Oh, yeah. Any, <laughs> a mythical mermaid monster from Japanese folklore has made a resurgence in the country's popular culture uh, recently as people hope for an end of the coronavirus. Virus. Uh, Amabi... A, is a 19th century Japanese spirit uh, known as yokai uh, who is said to ward off plagues. There it goes jumping on me again. According to the legend, uh, it was said to have appeared to a samurai and told him to draw a picture of her and show it to people to keep him safe from the from a coming pandemic. According to BBC News, the fishy, long-haired, bird-like yokai has inspired everything in japan in recent weeks from cakes to uh, cakes and noodles to face masks and hand sanitizers she oh. even sparked the amabi challenge on twitter that urges people to draw her a sea lion named leo in an aquarium in yokohama recently drew a respectable likeness so even their sea lions are drawing pictures of this uh, sounds supernatural to me that, uh, <laughs> and can and can ward off the uh coronavirus apparently well you know that that sea lion thing is i always wondered if uh animals could be possessed i think that might be a case i need to look into <laughs> yeah don't burn the sea lion. <laughs> no 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 it, it doesn't sound like a demon i don't think i have to worry about it <laughs> well no 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 that sounds that sounds a little more friendly it's as if it can ward off the coronavirus we could use more sea lions with that capability right now exactly even if it's just drawing the uh a maybe, or maybe, I don't know, I don't, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe, maybe not, you know. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe it'll get rid of it, maybe it won't. Oh, let's see, this is one I heard something about a while back, and uh, we'll see what it has on there. A wild beach event last weekend in Galveston County, Texas, led to more than 180, 180 arrests and a fairly hilarious viral news segment. Uh, thousands of people uh, gathered on the Gulf Coast Bolivar Peninsula uh, to celebrate Go Topless Jeep Weekend, an annual event that uh, seemed to have seemed to have more meaning this year for people who have lived the past two months mostly stuck in their homes. Uh, we've been in quarantine and like I need to get out and party," said beachgoer Chelsea Coyer. Uh, Coyer claims she was taking precautions to keep from getting the coronavirus by washing her hands for 20 seconds, but the station's video of the event captured lots of people twerking without masks as well as drinking and standing very close together. Interesting. All right. I wonder if twerking uh, spreads the virus. <laughs> oh, the, probably more than just coronavirus. That's Yeah. <laughs> I think there are a lot of things you can catch from uncontrolled twerking. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, police at the event admitted that enforcing social distancing was pretty much impossible. Uh, we do what we can. We cannot control individuals or what people do as far as their life. Uh, we just try to manage the best way and whatever scenario occurs. Okay, why were the people? Why were 180 people arrested? That's that's what I want to know. It yeah. can't be for twerking. Twerking is not yet a crime. Well, it is Texas. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, pretty strict. <laughs> yep. All told, more than 180 attendees were taken in the country and into custody for numerous unrelated crimes, including assault, driving without wearing a seatbelt. You can take somebody into custody for that? That's a little extreme. 
Yeah. Uh, driving while intoxicated and public drunkenness. By comparison, 80 people were arrested and six people were taken to the hospital at the 2019 event. So they, they more than doubled their numbers. Congratulations. Yeah. Uh, there was also, uh, this isn't in this article, but there was also a, uh, there were six people injured by gunfire. I read an article about this earlier on and there were wow. six people also injured from, so yeah, uh, go topless and brainless apparently. Yeah, um, I think I might stay in when everything opens up, if that's going to be the first reaction to, to the opening up of everything. That's it's a good possibility. Sure. Yeah, it's, it's just people are nuts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the leader of a South Korean soccer club might be feeling like... <laughs> Might be feeling like boobs after they were exposed for using sex dolls to make an empty empty stadium look full of fans. Very surprised fans. Uh, FC Seoul placed 30 mannequins around its stadium for a game against uh, Gwangju FC, uh, adding signs of life to stands void of spectators because of the coronavirus pandemic. The The Seoul Club said... Soul Club, that sounds fun, Uh, said in a statement it believed the figures were ordinary mannequins. Uh, The action on the field must not have been that great. People people watching quickly noticed that some of the fake fans wore clothing advertising sex toys and that many of them uh, were especially busty. So, yeah. As the BBC noted, pornography is banned in South Korea. I am never going to South Korea. I have just made that decision. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that's that would a ban on pornography would be soul crushing. <laughs> pun, yeah. pun definitely intended. With <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. But I, yeah, that and you look at the they have pictures as well, and you look at the at least they put. If they're going to use sex dolls, at least they put masks over their surprised faces. Yeah, that would have been a good idea. <laughs> but there, there's a lot of this going on. A lot of people, uh, a lot of people at these venues and at uh, restaurants. There's one restaurant in South Carolina that's actually using blow-up dolls to make the restaurant look more full of people. <laughs> so rather than rope tables off for the social distancing thing, when they're reopening, they're using uh, blow up dolls to fill tables. Nice. I guess that's a little more creative. I, I should do that at, at, at Wiley's when we reopen. Hey, there you go. <laughs> that, that way, if somebody's recording their set from the back, it looks like we got a packed house. Hey, that's a good idea. <laughs> I should have been doing that all along. <laughs> <laughs> hey, see, you get ideas. <laughs> Okay, what else we got? We'll do one more news story. Let's see what we, that's. Okay, the, well, let's see what this this says. This the headline is just this guy found something very unexpected staring through his third floor windows. So let's see what he's got here. This might be fun. It might be something that's just not nobody cares. Uh, a Dutch man living in, is living with the constant feeling of being watched because for the most part he is. Uh, Jos Bart uh, told the Netherlands Nature Program, uh, wow, Vroge Vagel, uh, I don't know, that a Eurasian eagle owl has nested in the planter just outside his third floor window. It then hatched three giant chicks. As footage shows, uh, they spent a lot of time watching each other. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's a little creepy. 
Yeah. Uh, first, at first, Bart thought the birds outside his window were pigeons, but they turned out to be one of the largest owls in the world, which, according to Audubon, have a wingspan that can reach six and a half feet. That's a big bird. Yeah, so it could probably, you know, he probably wouldn't need window shades either. He, the wings could block uh, block out the window, the sunlight. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. That That's a lot of convenient features there. But I, I think owls are a little creepy when they get to staring at you. And I don't know that that would that would creep me out quite a bit just to have this. Actually, there'll be four of them. There's a mother and then the three the three yeah. chicks just staring at you the whole time. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I could handle. It'd make me very self conscious. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to give you about two or three minutes right now. If you, whatever social media you want to throw out there, any upcoming projects you want to. You want to promote just uh, this is this is your chance to let that fly. Yeah, definitely. Uh, again, my name is Jean-Pierre Gignoli. Don, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I had a great time on your show. Uh, if you want to check me out and find out more about me, my main website is www.mcpierre.com. That's the letter M, the letter C, P-I-E-R-R-E.com. And I have all my info on there. It's prominently my music, but you can find my comedy, my paranormal stuff. Uh, pretty much everything. I promote it all on that website. Um, and uh, social media stuff, at Talented. So that's Talented with an extra ED tacked on because I do so many things. I came up with my own word of who I am as a talented guy. Uh, talented. So you can find me on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, keep in touch with all my social media stuff. Um, currently, uh, I have an independent film, which is a satire on the current political landscape, which I'm very excited about. Um, we're waiting to see. It was supposed to release. We we're supposed to do a movie premiere in April. We're still waiting on it, so I'll definitely promote that on the website and everywhere once it's released. I actually got one of my original songs on the soundtrack for the movie as well, so it's a project I'm very excited about. It's called No Offense. That's the name of the movie. I play a Supreme Court justice where uh, I have a nice monologue for a ridiculous policy that the president uh, in the film has come up with and whether we should pass it or not. So that's kind of the idea. It's it's a funny, hilarious movie written by a comedian uh, who I met uh, before the project. So right. that's, that's, that's somewhat based on true stories, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah like I said, it's based loosely based on the current administration and the current political <laughs> landscape we're living in. So uh, I fell in love when I read the script and luckily the director liked me a lot for the role. So I ended up getting the part and it was it was a lot of fun. It was really a lot of fun uh, to be part of that project. And it's going to be a really funny film. I'm excited for it. It pushes a lot of boundaries uh, as far as comedy goes, especially in the current, you know, landscape of our society. Everybody's so, everything's a touchy subject. And this this director who, who wrote the script uh, decided to just go all out and go balls to the wall with, with this script. And it was hilarious. I had to be a part of it once I found out about it. So, so I'm nice. excited. No offense movie. Hopefully, you know, we'll see when that releases. We're still working on all the details because we were going to do a local release theatrically and then everything kind of got pushed back obviously because of covid uh so a lot of things have been pushed back uh mm -hmm. so that's kind of what's going on um comedy wise i should be going out to florida pretty soon whenever the the thing is lifted i hope to tour uh more of the country once uh obviously you know all, a lot of the restrictions are lifted and i could get back into comedy and start touring as well so that's kind of the main thing keep in touch with my website mcpr.com for all the information if you're interested even more in the paranormal, uh, my paranormal stuff, which is interesting to most people, our website is www.paranormaldetectives.org. 
So you can find out all our stuff on the paranormal on there as well. And uh, yeah, that's about it. That's all my info. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And I had a great time on the show. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, Jean, Jean-Pierre Gignoli, it's been great having you. Great talking to you. Good luck with everything. Uh, keep me uh, informed uh, with the with the rap album when it comes out, because I definitely would like to play some on the show from time to time. Fantastic. I definitely will. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the Life Radio Show. Be sure to keep tuning in. We're going to keep making them, whether you like it or not. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Life Radio Show podcast. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, if you want to listen live, we are on Tuesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. on WWSU 106.9 FM. You can also stream the show live at WWSU1069.org, and we go Facebook Live at the Life Radio Show's Facebook page. If you have suggestions or comments, feel free to email thelife1069 at gmail.com. Overwhelms me. A brutal presence. Overwhelms me. Never use the discount butt doctor. <laughs>